Hi, I'm Ron Tesserero from the East Career Development Section. In this session, we are pleased to discuss the topics of surgical critical care and acute care surgery fellowship training with Sam Tisherman. Dr. Tisherman is a professor of surgery at the University of Maryland School of Medicine and the director of the Center for Critical Care and Trauma Education at the R. Adams Cowley Shock Trauma Center. He has previously served as the director of the Surgical Critical Care and Acute Care Surgery Fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh and is currently the president of the Surgical Critical Care Program Director Society. Welcome, Dr. Tishman. We are privileged to have such a uniquely qualified individual with whom to have this discussion. Uh, thanks, Ron. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Great. Well, I wanted to start off with just a question about, um, overall, how has the interest in critical care fellowship grown over the past five or ten years, and what's your perception of why there's been such an increased interest? Well, the growth has been very impressive. If you look back in 2005, there were somewhere around 60 applicants to the surgical critical care uh, fellowship programs. And last year, we peaked around 223. It dropped just a little bit this year. Uh, so we're looking at several fold increase in the number of uh, trainees, which is very impressive. The number of people taking the exam in surgical critical care is now outnumbered other uh, general surgical subspecialties. So we're, we're certainly very proud of that. As to why it's been happening, that's a good question. Um, within the, the SCCPDS, the Surgical Critical Care Program Director Society, uh, we've come up with some, some strategic plans, and one of them is to actually look at why people are choosing this and see what we can do to leverage uh, that to, to, to further increase uh, the number of uh, trainees. So we're not totally sure. Certainly having the acute care surgery fellowships uh, is playing into it. Uh, there's definitely a lot of interest in that area. Uh, is that the whole thing? Probably not. But uh, as I say, we're going to try to look into it a little more and hopefully learn from it so we can continue to uh, promote the fellowships and, and increase our uh, applicant pool. Um, just out of curiosity, how do you plan on trying to gauge what the reasons are? Is this sort of uh, surveys of outgoing fellows, incoming fellows? Uh, both. Yeah, I think we're going to, we're going to look at, uh, surveying, uh, the applicants. Um, and I think we'll also need to look at, you know, people who choose not to go into this and get some sense of, you know, what, what leads, uh, surgical trainees into other paths. Excellent. I, I think the, the next question I had, uh, maybe it would be along the same lines, is just overall, you know, it looks like there, we have a critical care shortage looming in our future, um, certainly across all boards and surgical intensives as well. Do you think the increased interest we're seeing is enough to fill that need? And if not, what else should we be doing to increase the interest in the specialty? Well, certainly from um, the global management of critically ill surgical patients, that's a, a key question. And uh, there's the plenty of data out there that uh, the number of intensivists is not what we need to have in this country, the level of uh, critical illness that we have, and that's particularly true of, of surgical intensivists. So, uh, yes, we need to keep trying to increase our numbers. Uh, will we uh, achieve um, you know, a totally filled uh, position where we, were, uh, we have all of our critical care needs uh, fulfilled? Uh, I kind of doubt it in the near future. Uh, but that's part of why we really want to get a better sense of 
what's driving people into the specialty, what, what can we do to uh, further recruit uh, people into the specialty. And I think uh, my my view may be a little more um, global than some others, that uh, I think it's important that we, as surgical intensivists, don't think of just the surgeons who want to manage critically ill surgical patients, but you know, as we'll probably touch on a little bit later, um, there are people from emergency medicine, potentially other specialties, who also want to manage these same patients with us. And, and my strong belief is that we ought to be the ones to train them. So that'll help with our uh, shortfall of intensivists. Well, great. I was going to ask that question a little later, but sort of a natural segue is, you know, in 2014, the American Board of Surgery established board certification for emergency medicine physicians. Um, who completed an approved surgical critical care two-year fellowship. How is this going so far? How has the program grown? How are we doing with this? Well, I have to say it's been uh, slow and um, it's it's challenging. Uh, As of a year ago, there were only nine programs, and right now we're talking about a total number of programs across the country in surgical critical care, upwards of 120. 20-something or 130-something. So only nine have taken this on as of a year ago. Um, Part of it is that the the regulations that the Board of Surgery uh, came up with for this are kind of difficult because they want the emergency medicine people to do a year of uh, extra training, some kind of supplemental year, before they actually do the one-year surgical critical care uh, fellowship and, and it's hard for programs to figure out how to how to do that logistically with getting the rotations they need, but also just how to, to pay them. Uh, and at the same time, uh, the, the uh, Board of Internal Medicine uh, has easier requirements for emergency medicine people to take the straight critical care medicine fellowship programs, and anesthesia has requirements that are actually easier than ours too. Um, you know, maybe we can make some progress with changing those requirements to make it easier, but for EM people who want to do critical care, there are only are a few programs that will uh, provide that training for them, and it, it's a challenge. So I'm hoping that we can uh, broaden that interest uh, and increase the number of uh, trainees uh, from emergency medicine over time. Yeah, it would seem that from my perception that um, surgical critical care seems a to me, a more natural pathway for the emergency medicine physician and internal medicine or anesthesia, but I um, see some of the barriers, potential barriers that have been put in place and some of the other easy, easy pathways they may choose from a different specialty. Right, and as you say, a lot of them are very interested in this. If they, if they, if it were simply a matter of which, so especially they want to get into, they will typically want to do surgery, and they typically do end up working in, in surgical units down the road, um, but it is just more challenging at the moment. So sort of rounding back for the the, the surgeons in our audience, audience that are listening that are contemplating doing a fellowship, you know, there are a number of different sort of flavors of that now. There are one-year surgical critical care fellowships. There are two-year acute care surgery fellowships. There are some trauma fellowships. Uh, in keeping just with the, the thought of a one-year surgical critical care fellowship, what do you think the advantages of a one-year fellowship are? I think uh, the main um, advantage of the one-year fellowship is really getting um, a broad experience 
in the critical care world. Um, I think you know, the ideal one-year fellowship ought to have uh, good hands-on uh, experiences in various subspecialty areas of surgical critical care. So it shouldn't just be uh, spending time in a surgical ICU or a trauma ICU, because that's what you know, people have already done a decent amount of during the residency program. So I think it's a matter of getting uh, the intense hands-on experience with different types of uh, critically ill surgical patients. Uh, and, I, and I think the other piece of that, and this depends a lot on the individual programs and institutions, but uh, the more they can um, be exposed to and learn from non-surgical intensivists, uh, I think that's the better. I mean, you know, the surgical residents spend five years um, learning from surgeons, working with surgeons, taking care of surgical patients. And yes, as a as a fellow in a surgical critical care program, learning from surgeons is an important part of it. <clears throat> but I think they can gain even more by really working uh, directly in the units with with non-surgeons that are also involved in managing uh, a variety of critically ill surgical patients. So is that non uh, non-surgeon? Intensivist taking care of surgical critical care patients, or is that non-surgeon intensivist taking care of medical critical care patients, or what do you think is the a good blend? Is it sometime in the MICU, sometimes in a non-surgical neuro unit? What do you think? I, I think uh, a mix of those things is very difficult. I don't know how many or if any programs actually can have their fellows have a meaningful experience in a, in a pure medical ICU. Certainly. Um, there are plenty of ICUs around that are mixed med surge, uh, then an AD run by, um, medical people and getting that experience. So I, I mean, however the, the fellowship can, can work things out so that they're seeing a, a breadth of patients, um, and also uh, working with uh, a variety of intensivists who can teach them the various nuances of that. I mean, I, I think I spent most of my career at the University of Pittsburgh where we run the fellowship program as a purely multidisciplinary program. So the fellows call come from different specialties, so they learn from each other, and the faculty are from different specialties. So, um, I mean, I still always learn from having a, a non-surgical trainee coming through the unit, and I think the surgical trainees learn a lot from spending time with the non-surgical intensivists because it's not... You know, a lot of critical care is not totally based on clearly evidence-based practice. You know, we all recognize that. I mean, there are plenty of guidelines around, and we try to use evidence when we can, but there are a lot of nuances, um, different perspectives on, on managing the same type of illness that are either right or wrong, they're just a little bit different. I think the trainees gain a lot from from having that kind of opportunity. Excellent perspective. Uh, in sort of still sticking with one-year fellowship, in terms of a didactic or curriculum-based experience, what should fellows look for in terms of assuring the a program they're choosing has that, you know, in addition to a strong clinical aspect, has a, you know, useful didactic program? What sort of things should they look for? 
let's just sort of look for you know the structure of the didactics. Um, are are the fellows asked to do a lot of the teaching of each other, or is it uh, faculty run? Even if the fellows are presenting something, are the faculty there? So I think it's got to be a lot of faculty involvement to make sure that the didactics are really accomplishing what you want them to do. And um, you know, certainly it's important to look at you know, a, a list of you know, these are the the core didactic lectures that the program has, uh, so they they feel assured they're going to be uh, taught those particular things. Um, and I think it's important to make sure there are other pieces of the educational program, like you know, really robust journal clubs, uh, clinical case conferences, those sorts of things that uh, allow a little more critical thinking uh, with uh, faculty um, mentorship and supervision along the way. Uh, and, you know, we're all pushing some of the uh, uh, boundaries of what constitutes good medical education and things like uh, development of web-based uh, educational programs, um, simulation-based programs. There's a lot of opportunities there, and I think we're just all kind of the beginning of realizing what we, what we can do with these other modalities for teaching. In what ways, um, in terms of simulation, what do you think some of the, the maybe low-hanging fruit for education in simulation and critical care would be? I think one of the things you know, we we spend a lot of time teaching fellows. If you have a patient who's got diagnosis X, the standard care is Y, uh, and that's all well and good. But you, you don't have the opportunity to actually do that. Uh, so using simulation, you can you know, give them a variety of scenarios and um, have them actually make things happen, which gets into uh, some of the softer skills that are really important in becoming a good intensivist, like leadership and communication. And uh, I think that sort of thing is, is great to do with, with simulation. You can easily get, get feedback. Because, you know, the, real, the reality is uh, in a lot of situations in the ICU or in the operating room, you know, there's somebody looking over the shoulder of the fellow, uh, but if we put them in the simulator, there's nobody there, so they, they have to take charge and they have to do things, and you can readily give them feedback on it. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> so w with that in mind, when you think about, you know, with the increased um, interest in acute care surgery and increased proliferation of two-year fellowships specific to acute care surgery, what do you think the advantages of a two-year fellowship are, and what do you think some of the profiles of who should look at a two-year fellowship? Well, I think there, there are a couple aspects of that. Um, so one is that you know, as a trainee, you need to think about what have I already learned, what do I feel comfortable with, and, and what do I want to get out of the, the fellowship training. So uh, you know, if you have a residency program where uh, you've done a lot of emergency general surgery uh, or you've done a lot of trauma management and you feel comfortable with that, um, you know, doing a two-year fellowship may or may not add to uh, your skill set. If you come from a program where you don't have that, that's where I think the, the two-year program can definitely uh, add to that. So I think that the first thing is thinking about you know, what clinically you want to get out of the fellowship. And one part of that I'll add is 
is the level of uh, independence. And I know that a lot of people finishing residency programs and not feeling that comfortable yet with being out on their own. And so having that uh, second year of fellowship where hopefully you have some more independence and more responsibility can help you feel more comfortable when you're finally the one that's going to make all the decisions. So I think that's one piece of it. The other piece of it where I, I actually don't really know the answer yet is how important that two-year fellowship is in terms of uh, your own marketability. I, I do hear from uh, some you know, fellows um, that you know, have trained uh, with us that they interview at such and such a place and you know that place is only trying to hire somebody who's done the two-year fellowship. I think that's not too common yet. Uh, will that become the norm? I'm not really sure. Uh, but I think that, that could certainly play into it, that if your goal is to be an acute care surgeon where you're, you're handling trauma and handling emergency general surgery as well as being an intensivist, um, it, it may be really necessary down the road to, to do the two-year fellowship. For a fellow who's coming out of a really strong clinical program, a place that does a lot of emergency general surgery or does um, a significant amount of trauma, who feels technically um, adept and ready, are there any other things, any other uh, other than the potential maybe hiring advantage that you just spoke of, are there any other potential advantages of a two-year fellowship, or what should they look for um, in addition to just additional technical and clinical experience? In terms of the, yeah, so as I mentioned, I think from the clinical side, it's it's doing the big cases, uh, having the opportunity to do more of the decision making, uh, having some level of independence, which I know that programs really struggle with, and, and that's going to continue to be a problem. So beyond that, there are some opportunities there that that are worth looking at. Um, particularly, I would say things like research um, or education, scholarly work. Uh, having administrative responsibility, and, and that's where you know, if you're going to spend two years at an institution, that gives you uh, a lot more opportunity to get some research projects done or you know, develop an educational curriculum or you know, spend some time with the people who run the trauma service or run the ICUs to, to gain that administrative uh, experience. So there are some other uh, ways that can be uh, advantageous. Uh, you know, people get all excited about some other types of elective opportunities, like international uh, electives, uh, and that could be, you know, depending upon what you want to do, that that could be a, a, an awesome opportunity. So uh, there are some other parts of it that aren't necessarily parts of the requirements for doing an acute care surgery program, but. You, you have a little more flexibility if you're going to be at a place for two years. Uh, and the acute care surgery um, curriculum allows for a little more flexibility uh, in some ways than the, the one-year surgical critical care programs. Yeah, so maybe really looking at a place that, in addition to just a heavy clinical experience, do they offer a, you know, a tract for an educator or somebody who's interested in administration or has an international goal? Those are all very interesting points. Um, and currently, if I read them, well, I think I do read them correctly, the guidelines are that, you know, if for a surgical critical care year and even an acute care surgery uh, year or two-year fellowship, you need to spend one concentrated time period doing critical care, eight of 12 months, 
um, in, uh, well, eight to 12 months in some sort of surgical intensive care unit. I mean, so essentially it sort of functionally breaks acute care surgery fellowships into two distinct entities, um, one critical care year and one acute care surgery year. Do you think that's the, having that concentrated year of critical care is the correct model? Do you think we should be more flexible in our training so you mix the two things together? It's a tough question because there are certainly advantages both ways. If you, you know, know you're going to be spending two years uh, at a certain institution, um, from the trainee perspective, it certainly might be advantageous to split that up a bit, you know, spend a little time, you know, a few months in the ICU, do some operative rotations, come back to the ICU, rather than really uh, blocking off uh, a large amount of time where you're not operating. The challenge is that, at the moment anyway, the two fellowships are um, overseen by different bodies. Uh, so you've got the American Board of Surgery, and well, I should say the uh, ACDME uh, and Surgical RC who oversee the Surgical Critical Care Fellowship Programs, and then the Acute Care Surgery uh, Program is overseen by the AAST. <clears throat> So it makes it a little hard. I know that some uh, institutions uh, are and have experimented with um, mixing it up, and I think the board of, or the, the surgical RC um, has uh, allowed some more flexibility than they have in the past. So I think we'll, I think we'll, as we move forward, I think we'll see more programs coming up with you know, sort of hybrid ways to meet the overall requirements over two years, but have some more flexibility in between as long as they you know, get the okay from uh, the RRC. Um, but I will say the other side of that, um, and there are a lot of complexities to this, is that if you have people coming for just a one-year surgical care program, it would be logistically kind of complicated to have you know, some fellows who are you know, doing that as one year, and then other people who are doing two years, but they're kind of mixing up when they're spending their time in the ICUs. I'm sure it's all doable, um, but just one more challenge. And, and the only thing I'll add to that discussion is that the one-year surgical critical care fellowship, at least I, I don't think uh, is going to be going away anytime soon. Personally, I don't think it should, mainly because there are plenty of people who just want to do the surgical critical care and not necessarily have an interest in emergency dental surgery and trauma. They, and you know, one example is there uh, seems to be some growing interest from cardiac surgeons to do a critical care year. Um, and I've certainly, in, in, uh, over the course of my time as a fellowship director, had uh, several fellows who just wanted to do transplant, and they did a year of critical care so they could manage the transplant patients in the ICU. Um, so that's going to stay as, as an entity, and how that can then become flexible at an institution that also has acute care surgery or is managing acute care surgery, um, I think is going to be up to the institutions. And I get the sense that the, the RRC is uh, allowing some more flexibility there and letting programs, you know, try all different ways of, of handling, meeting all the requirements they have to meet. Something you said there prompted a, another question that I really just thought of is that 
you know, in the past there was an opportunity for uh, residents who had completed their PGY-2 or PGY-3 uh, year to do a year of surgical critical care sort of in the midst of their residency. Um, does that still exist, if one? Um, are there many people, if it does, are there many people who are choosing that option? And do you think that it is still a viable option given the overall breadth and expansion of critical care knowledge? That's a really a good question. As far as I know, it does still exist. Uh, I don't think there are that many people who do it across the country. Um, over my time as a fellowship director, I think we had two. Um, you know, in some ways, I always thought that that was a a potentially really good way to do it. Because if you think about it, particularly as we've talked about the fact that the surgical critical care year tends to be pretty non-operative, you know, spending at least eight months in an ICU, um, people could be um, more interested in doing that in the middle of residency before they've actually done all the big cases, they've been a chief resident, because um, it's more difficult to go from being a chief where you're doing tons and tons of operative cases and now you're going to spend a year where you, you don't get to operate as much. Um, but I think the appeal has never really been there that much. And I think the other thing is a lot of programs, even if they have a uh, built-in, you know, quote, research year, um, aren't necessarily – uh, interested in letting the, the residents take that year to do a critical care fellowship. So I think it's still there. Is it going to survive? I don't know. And it's certainly one of those things that also is institution dependent because if you have a fellowship program where you really expect the fellows to to be able to work at a very high level as you know the board-eligible surgeons or board-eligible emergency physicians, um, if you bring in somebody who's only done two or three years of residency, it has to be three, I should say, um, that may not be possible because of the level of responsibility that you expect from your trainees. So I think at the moment it's still a small number, and who knows, it may go away. Hmm. Well, I guess going along with that is do you, you know, there's a number of combined training programs now or programs that are, uh, you know, a couple of years of surgery and then cardiac surgery, a couple of years of surgery and then vascular surgery. Do you foresee a future where surgical critical care or acute care surgery is really part of a combined residency approach to general surgery training rather than a general surgery residency and then on and then going on to a fellowship training model? Yeah, I think that's a great question that the Board of Surgery is really wrestling with because um, plenty of people who self-specialize, and, and for the most part, the vast majority of people now finish surgical residency self-specialize in something. Um, so, you know, if that's the case, why do a couple more years of training with some uh, skills that you're not going to use again? Why not start earlier in your more particular field of, of interest? Uh, so I, I think that's going to evolve uh, over time. Not sure exactly what that may look like. It's certainly not going to happen, you know, very quickly. But I think uh, part of that certainly, uh, I, I would think, will be uh, a track where you do X number of years and you know, whatever that year number is, and then you branch off and do a couple of years or maybe three years, depends on you know, how this whole paradigm works out, 
of intense experiences related to critical care, trauma, emergency general surgery, uh, and then, you know, your, your compatriots might be heading off into surgical oncology at the same time or to transplant or something else. So I do think that's going to happen, just not clear yet when or what it's going to look like. Yeah, I guess, do you, can you see any disadvantages? I mean, I, I sort of can see some potential disadvantages of that model. Do you see any disadvantages of that model and what they might be? Well, certainly one of the issues is, and the question is, what sort of general experience, skills, knowledge should everybody that's going into a surgical subspecialty have? Uh, and I think that's one of the things that uh, the Board of Surgery is really wrestling with, is what what should the minimum amount be and how much time do people need to gain that so that they still have broad experience, broad knowledge base, broad skill set, even if they're now self-specialized in, you know, just doing breast surgery or they're doing, you know, acute care surgery or whatever it is. So that that plays into the whole challenge of how to make this work. Well, I think we've, you know, touched on a number of sort of interesting, you know, topics and thoughts over the course of the conversation. I thought the insights into uh a critical care fellowship that gives you a broad exposure not only to surgical critical care but to intensivists that have backgrounds other than surgery to gain some other specific areas of knowledge was very insightful. I thought that um, the comments about some of the other benefits a two-year fellowship might offer offer you in terms of not just in uh, you know clinical technical experience but more administrative and overall leadership role experience uh, was another interesting insight. But when you wrap it all up or when you sort of think about it in finality, if I have a resident that's sitting in front of me that is interested in trauma and surgical critical care but really sort of unsure about whether they want to do a one- or two-year fellowship, what would you tell them to help them try and make up their mind? Well, I think it you know, comes back. Question, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've touched a bit on that. I think and it kind of comes back to, uh, you know, what it is they want to get out of the training, what what gaps do they see in themselves, uh, and what do they want to be doing down the road. I mean, you could, if they're really on the fence, I think, you know, it certainly is a default, maybe better to go for more training. It's not going to hurt to, to do another year of, of training uh, in terms of your own skills and uh, opportunity to to take on some other things like some research or scholarly work or education, whatever you want to do. Um, so you know, if if someone's really on the fence, you know, they they probably should look toward the two year. But I think it, you know, like a lot of decisions we all make, it kind of comes down to you know where where am I now? Being honest about my own skills and knowledge base, and and then looking at where I want to go and figuring out what's the best way get me there? What kind of program am I going to look for that's going to help me achieve what I want to achieve? Very good, Dr. Tish. Thank you very much. On behalf of the East Career Development Section, I would like to thank you, Dr. Tishman, for taking the time to speak with us today. I'm Ron Tessereau, and I hope you enjoy the program. When you find a moment of time, please visit the East website at www.east.org for more East Career podcasts and other valuable information. All right. I hope that was about what hey. we had in mind, Brad. Nope. No, that was perfect. How was that, that was Brad? Great. No, that was awesome. I, I was 
I mean, the questions were, were great, Ron. I appreciate it. Like all the questions that I had in mind, I, I thought of the same one about the mid-training, you know, question about whether or not to do resident, uh, the fellowship in the middle of your training is a, a great question. We we deal with that, you know, frequently. We actually have about one resident a year that ends up doing that, um, you know, and so I, I do think that's a pretty relevant consideration even 